0: The Paul Leslie Hour. Helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on support the show. Thank you to all of you who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. Hey, it's me. This is the Paul Leslie Hour, episode number 600. Welcome to it. We have a most interesting guest joining us today. Jimmy Dale Gilmore is here. He is a Texas-born artist, a great singer, songwriter, guitarist. He's also an actor. He's not only performed as a solo artist, he's also a member of the iconic group The Flatlanders, and uh, I'll give you all just a little bit of, of some interesting things dealing with numbers. Number 400 of this show was with Joe Ely. Number 500 was with Butch Hancock. So here we are at number 600 with Jimmy Dale Gilmore, a prolific recording artist as a solo act, but also with Dave Al- Alvin, the Flatlanders, he has been covered by a diverse collection of artists. We could go on, but Nancy Griffith, Diane Shore, Jack Ingram. And I'm just so pleased to welcome you. I'm a big fan.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's it's good to be
0: here. So I, I only ask this question because I know... Somebody like you, based on the songs you write, you're you're up for it. It's an existential question, so I guess I'm starting off uh, in that world. But who is Jimmy Dale Gilmore? <laughs> well, let's see.
1: That's a that's a very loaded question uh, because, for one thing, because you know I have. Uh, one of my one of my other main interests besides music is philosophy, and I've studied a whole lot of, of <laughs> uh, I, in college. In fact, I studied linguistic analysis and uh, and symbolic logic, uh-huh. <laughs> and I uh, so going into a question like who who is and also you know I uh, in in the last many years I've studied Buddhism very much in depth, and it very much involves this question of self and Mm -hmm. (laughs) non-self, who who
0: is anybody?
1: So uh, I don't think I can give you a very succinct
0: answer to that. (laughs) Uh, At the end of the interview, if it comes to you, by all means. (laughs) So, Jimmy Dale, what has always been the purpose of the art you create? Well, it it took me a very long
1: time to actually sort of realize it consciously, but uh, you know, uh, for many years I have I have taught a songwriting class once a year at this place called the Omega Institute in in upstate New York, and by teaching that class, it's it's not really teaching. I it's like I conduct a a workshop. That's a better way to put it. And, but one of the things about it is, is that that classmate forced me for all these many years to really think about like this question that you just asked and, and really try to get to the bottom of it. And it eventually, uh, after many years of, of really trying to tie it up in a little, <laughs> a little, uh, complete package, I finally realized that it was that, uh, Mu- music is communication, and communication is community. Hmm. Communing, it's, a, it's like a common, common experience, and, and, uh, and another word for community is love. So that's the whole, when he gets right down to it, that's the real reason. For doing music, it's the reason that people like music because it, it creates connection between people. And it does it in different ways. Sometimes it sounds like it's doing the opposite, but it's a, but it's a, that's really the overall uh, reason for reason why it exists in the first place. why, why it has the power it has.
0: And it does have such a power, such an incredible power. Yeah. now, when you're writing a song, is it something that you have to really, really work at, or is it something that kind of comes more naturally to you uh generally, it's something I have to work at it's uh the
1: ideas come to me fairly easily but and I have stacks of notebooks with little little snippets of things that that someday I would like to do but for the most there have been a few of my songs that where I've had that experience of it sort of felt like it wrote itself sort of you know like it just came to me but most of them it's like if I get an idea and then it and then the idea keeps recurring to me and I I finally if I finally decide that it was a good idea that it's an idea worth working on. I have to sit down and really do it deliberately, and usually that that comes under some kind of a deadline or something because it's it's time for some project or for a you know a movie or a or a new record or something. I'm not uh, I'm not prolific like my friends Joe and Butch are, particularly Butch Butch. Which just writes all the time, and and it seems to be effortless. I don't know, <laughs> but for me, it's hmm. it uh, involves working at it.
0: Well, you used the word community a little while ago, and I would say that in the community of the show that I do, we have a, a resident Sinatra expert and aficionado, John Paradise. And uh, he was listening to some of your music, and it's interesting that a, a Sinatra, because your voice is is atypical. It's it's really beautiful, but it's I would say it's not the kind of voice you hear every day. And he said, "Now this guy, this guy is good." Talking about you, and so. I'm hoping you can tell us as a singer, what do you think makes for a great singer, because there are all kinds of singing voices.
1: Well, from my perspective, it it's that the the music that, that I've listened to all, all through my life, uh, I never deliberately tried to copy anybody. But I think whatever it was that moved me about you know, like Hank Williams is the first I can remember of really, really uh, having an emotional impact on me. And it's strange, you know, because he's writing about stuff that a that a five year old kid doesn't know anything about. But there was something about his voice and his presentation that that affected me deeply. And then it, and then that continued through a lot of the country singers and and uh uh. Mostly male singers. There were, there were a few uh, female singers that really affected me a lot. Kitty Wells was a, a big, uh, had a big impact on me. And then later on, uh, Brenda Lee who was still one of my favorites of all the singers. And then, uh, and then John Baez, when John Baez came along and it was the folk thing that made a huge impression on me. But the, most of the singers that I really, really loved, you know, were like were uh, it was like Jim Reeves and and Marty Robbins and you know the really country the old the the and Ernest Tubb. and I was, actually I was named for Jimmy Rogers. We, that it's, it's why my name is spelled J I M M I E because my dad w- was was a you know real diehard fan of Jimmy Rogers when he was young. And uh, I didn't really become familiar directly with Jimmy Rogers' music until after I started learning how to play and getting into sort of studying the history of it and everything. I was I knew a whole lot of Jimmy Rogers' music, but it was by other people. There was one record by Lefty Frizzell, and then much later on, I found you know it's 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 one that uh, that Merle Haggard credited credited with being a huge influence on him. And of course you can hear Lefty Frizzell in, in, uh, uh, Merle Haggard's singing. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, but Jimmy Rogers, it turns out it was really back behind all that. You know, he was, he was the guy that influenced, he influenced all the people that influenced all the rest of the people. A lot of the young people don't even know about him now, but he was ultra important, but he, uh anyway to get back to the question you asked I was uh it I never as I said I never copied anybody but the the emotional quality of of all these various singers is was what would come through to me and and i uh, I just sang uh, sort of instinctively not it never was studied or anything I never Learned, I didn't learn very much music theory or anything Later on I did just because it was interesting to me But it wasn't what formed my, my playing And I, uh, but it Because I've given this so much thought you know, About what, what did add up to make me Think about songs the way I do And the way, and the way I deliver them And it, it's not it's not real conscious. It's not real deliberate. Except after the fact, I can, I can listen to it and kind of go, Oh, oh, that's a, that sounds, you know, that, that little thing reminds me a little bit of, uh, I, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis or so. You know, there's, there's different people that, that influence the way I sing, but I don't think about that
0: while I'm singing. I don't know if that answers your
1: question or not, but it's (laughs) that's the...
0: Yeah, it it does, and it it brings up something that's been in my mind. When I've gone through and listened to all the stuff that you've done, from your solo stuff to uh, the the record you made with Dave Alvin, there's a lot of styles. You know, I mean, you've sung Mac the Knife, but you've also sung... Great bluegrass songs I've heard you sing blues You've done rock and roll Classics by Lloyd Price I mean it's really You can't put Jimmy Dale Gilmore in any Box um, But you know is Of all those styles would you Say that there's one that Resonates with you the most I think probably the My
1: Greatest discovery when I was learning how to play and, and, uh, when I was learning how to play and kind of learning about the, the background to music, like where the music came from that I, that I loved. I think when I discovered the blues, it was like, oh, that's, that's the mother load. (laughs) That, that's where, that's where the stuff that hits me the deepest came from. And, you know, most of the country music I liked the most was actually Really, deep deeply influenced by blues. It's ironic, you know. The whole, yeah. A lot of the country people just, you know, just dismissed all the all the black music, but it was actually black music that was that was kind of the the beautiful beautiful underpinning of what
0: of what the best country musicians were doing. So very true. I mean, you you had mentioned Hank Williams. Earlier, and you can really, really hear him, as he would call it, moaning the blues. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> so yeah, and it. the
1: the funny part was that you know privately, all all these people acknowledged their debt to the to black musicians, but they they wouldn't talk about it publicly. It's very strange. Now it's kind of a uh, a revelation to me when I started finding out that, you know, that Hank, even the Carter family, Hank Williams, uh, Johnny Cash, all, they, they had uh, mentors, you know, black black musicians that were mentors of theirs that, that kind of conveyed some of the, other, the most power into them.
0: What songwriters would you say have had the biggest influence on you?
1: Well, Hank Williams,
0: of course, you know, he stands
1: out immediately. And then, and several of, you know, Johnny Cash was just consistently great throughout his whole career. And then, uh, well, I see your picture of Bob Dylan on the wall there. Bob Dylan, <laughs> he stands out way uh, in front of almost everybody. And uh, I love, I really love Leonard Cohen. I don't, know, I don't know if Leonard Cohen influenced my music but but I love his music his his songwriting and his singing and uh, right off the top of my head those are those are the ones that well there's a bunch of there there's so many of them you know and in fact this new record of the flatlanders is almost a little there's a little compendium of, of, of some of the the people that butch and Joe and I all Were really influenced
0: by Well you know I I wanted to I'm going to just take a glance real quick On my My albums here I might see it here Well it's somewhere there But I was going to ask you about this album It happens to be One of the albums that I go to the most. And it is your collection of some of the real classics of country music. And it's got Saginaw, Michigan on there. It's got, uh, I'll never get out of this world alive. And, uh, you know, I was talking one time to Lance Cowan and we were talking about that album in particular, and he was saying, Boy, he really, he just, he got it, didn't he? And, oh, and I wanted to tell you also, I'm sorry to name drop, drop, I really am, but I was talking to the great songwriter, Bill Anderson, who wrote Saginaw, Michigan, and he was saying you did a good job with that song. So, oh, really? I'm, yeah. Well,
1: I'm really happy to hear that.
0: Yeah. But tell us about those, that, that collection of, the stuff that's sometimes overlooked, I think, but great songs.
1: Well, it was, that record was done as a tribute to my dad. He, who, uh, who, he bequeathed me this, this, you know, this early love of, of country music. And he played, he played guitar himself and was, and never, never professionally, but he was real good. He was a real good player. And, and he played, you know, he played in some dance bands and things around little towns in Texas. But he, uh, his, his deep love of that whole style of music was something that, that imprinted me and stayed with me no matter what, you know, even when I became a fan of rock and roll and, and then the folk stuff and everything, all the, the old classic country stuff stayed with me. And that, uh, my dad passed away in, in 2000, and uh, I, I really regret that he never got to hear this particular uh, record because he I think he would have loved it. And although I was, you know, when Joe Ely produced it and, and when we were doing it several times, I said, you know, golly, this is really, this is a mistake for me to try to do, you know a a Marty Robbins song or a Jim Reeves song something that's a it invites comparison and Joe said well you got to remember that most of the people that hear this have never heard of those people <laughs> which is strange which is true and it, it, that's still very odd to me you know because they're such an important part of my background it's it's peculiar to me that that they're unknown to the sort of the world at large.
0: Well, I, I have so much enthusiasm for that album. I've told you, I go back to that one again and again. The way you did walking the floor, and it's just you really. It, it, it was like you were meant to sing those songs. You know what I mean? Yeah i I think uh, I think Ernest Tubb was actually my dad's very favorite
1: singer. Uh-huh. And and I really loved him too. And you know, Ernest Tubb was one of the ones I didn't I didn't know back then that that he had early on, along with a bunch of other people, was a, an imitator of Jimmy Rogers. Hmm. I found that out much later. Even uh, even Gene Autry, early on, recorded songs that that sounded just exactly like Jimmy Rogers.
0: Well. What do you think about the, you know, we mentioned Mac the Knife, but what do you think about the American songbook, the classic, the standard songs like, you know, Blue Skies and all those kinds of songs?
1: Well, I think they're they're wonderful. And it, of course, it always, to me, always the the delivery of the song is equally as important as the song itself. And the, You know, uh, two or three years ago, we uh, uh, heard a a concert here in Austin uh, by Bob Dylan, and he did Autumn Leaves. And and rather than his typical Bob Dylan style of just mangling it, you know, how how he he does with, with everything, with his own songs and with, but he did Autumn Leaves just kind of really straightforward. And it was one of the prettiest things I've ever heard. If there's something about the intensity of his delivery and the, and the beauty of that song, it was just overwhelming. And uh, I heard, heard later on uh, somebody asking him something. I don't remember the exact question. It was something like, why do you do these? Uh, why, why are you covering these songs? And, and Bob Dylan said something like, I'm, I'm not, I'm uncovering them. <laughs> and I thought that was genius. I thought that was brilliant. And so, uh, you know, there's a the, a lot of those uh, sort of tin pan alley hmm? sort of things. There's there's lots of works of genius in that that whole catalog. Not all of it. I mean, lots of it is just strikes me as really schlocky, you know, and 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 glib and silly, but a lot of it is just profound and beautiful.
0: Absolutely. Well, when, when you're recording something, because as I said, there's just, you've, you've written some great songs, but also you can really pick them. And, uh, you know, I was listening to goodbye old Missoula that, that you, you cut and that's a Willis Allen Ramsey song. Yeah. And, I'm wondering because you, you've got such a great variety of things that you recorded. How do you pick something that makes you say, you know what? I need to put the Jimmy Dale Gilmore stamp on this one.
1: I, I don't know. Cause I don't think of it from that angle. I, the only angle I think of it from is, is if a song just grabs me emotionally, then, you know, I can't, I can't even learn a song unless I just love it. So, uh, and I don't, I, I've always, um, I think of myself more as a, as a singer and as an interpreter than as a writer. But, but it, it it's more like, um, it, it comes from a place of just having a, a really intense kind of feeling about whatever song it is. And as as I said, I can't even, I can't even perform a song. I can't learn it if I don't have a real
0: strong feeling about it. Do you know the writer of that song, Willis Allen Ramsey? Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we've hung out a
1: little bit over the years. Not, not a whole lot, but uh, I got to know him uh, through, uh, I, I think it's through Champ Hood, who was one of the members of, of Uncle Walt's band. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but if you're not, you should be. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. Great and, recordings. and Walter Hyatt and, and Champ Hood and David Ball. And they were, uh, they were friends of Willis. And, and so I got to, I had been a fan of his from way back to the, to the early Flatlanders days. And, uh, I finally met him here in austin and then and we hung out some in, when when he was around here some I haven't seen him in quite a long time, but he is definitely one of the best one of the uh, both his his singing and his songwriting were just amazing
0: oh yeah, what would you say makes a good song a good song boy that's a <laughs>
1: That's an ongoing mystery. <laughs> it's a, but it has. It's got something to do with that. Like, like it goes back to the communication thing. If, if it, if there's something in a song that that the listener relates to and goes, yeah, I. And it's, this isn't a conscious thing. Nobody thinks, but you know, they don't go listen to a song. It's like, do I relate to this? But just the feeling comes that of of a connection with the, with the, the singer or the writer. That, that's the fun of it. That's, that's where, that's what makes it, uh, like, wow, here's, here's another person that sort
0: of understands the way I feel. Hmm. One of the other things about you is that you have been able to sing with a lot of really great, great singers. Share the stage with a lot of great singers. And, you know, like you sang with Willie Nelson, for example. Was there somebody that you had the chance to sing with that really in in particular knocked you out?
1: Well, gosh, you you mean in terms of of musical performance or of being uh, starstruck? (laughs) Maybe a little of both. (laughs) I had a, I had a really funny experience of, I was, I was invited to play uh, a tribute show to, uh, by the Glenn Gould foundation up in uh, Toronto a few years back. And the tribute was to Leonard Cohen. And Leonard Cohen was actually there in the audience, and so he, we didn't sing together, but I performed one of his songs in front of him, and I, I think that was one of the most uh, daunting thing that, things that, that I've <laughs> experienced. And and the funny part was, I I made a mistake in the song. And it was really funny because I had I had this. It was the Tower of Song. I don't know if you know that song, but it's it's just an amazing, wonderful song. Oh yeah. And uh, in in one place in it, one line in it says, uh, he says, uh, I'm standing, uh, uh, standing by the window where the light is strong, which is such a beautiful line. But for some reason, when I came. Past that, when he, I had done this song hundreds of times, prep preparing for it, when I came to it, I said, "I'm standing by the window where the air is strong," <laughs> and I, I didn't do it deliberately. I it, it was like it was just a mistake, and it was sort of I felt like, uh well, I told him later after the show backstage, you know, I, I was apologizing to him. I said, "I I can't believe I don't know." That wasn't intentional, I don't know how that happened i'm so- I'm so sorry and and he said, "Well, I kind of actually like that better <laughs> i don't I don't know if he really meant it or if he was just being a, you know a the gentleman that he was he was mm-hmm. a really sweet, amazing guy.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Is there someone that you would like to sing with that you haven't yet? Well, I, you know,
1: I, I really, I didn't get to sing, to, to do as much with Willie as I would have liked to all through the year. So we've been friends for a long time, but I, I don't know him real well. We haven't been real close friends. We live kind of close to each other, but, uh, uh, that's, that's something that I, I kind of feel like I missed out on a little bit. Um, I, I also uh I you know I toured I did a, I did one season I toured with Bob Dylan I opened for Bob Dylan one season and then and then another year I opened this is back in the days when I really was playing a lot uh I toured with John Prine and actually John John and I became pretty close friends and we we were the last time I saw him was at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival like what 3 years ago Three, four, golly! Last year, vanished, you know. So, mm-hmm. but uh, and uh, and we had talked about. John, John said that he wanted to to do some recording with me. Well, then, of course, you know his his health was failing anyway, and then he got COVID, and uh, we lost him. So that's a that's a big, huge regret I have that that didn't. That that didn't transpire. Hmm. John Prine was uh, one of my favorites in the world, both as a as a person and as a musician.
0: What would you say John Prine was 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 like at at his core?
1: He was a a deeply loving person with with real, the, the sentiments he expressed in his, you know, he had that, that sly, dark sense of humor, but, (laughs) but, but underneath it was, was a real, uh, respect for, for humankind. He was, he was a pretty amazing person. Mm. And he was, he was one of the people that the way he came over in his music to me was, was the way he was in real life
0: to me. Mm. That's wonderful. You know, there was a a journalist, I'm, I'm trying to remember this guy's name. I'm sorry to whoever he is, but he was telling me that he was, he was hanging out with John Prine, interviewing him. And he said that he was, that John Prine was looking through the newspaper And he said, they reviewed my album. There's a review of it. And he was just tickled. (laughs) And, you know, it was like, yeah, well, you are John Prine. Are you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I thought that was touching. Um, You know, uh, I was talking, I was walking with a friend of mine yesterday and He was asking me, what's going on with the show? What's who's who's coming up? And I said, well, we're taping episode 600 tomorrow with Jimmy Dale Gilmore. And uh, I started telling him who you were. He didn't he wasn't familiar. And maybe you're tired of of hearing this. But, of course, what finally got the bell to go off was I said, have you seen the Big Lebowski? (laughs) He said, of course. And I told him which character you played. And he repeated verbatim <laughs> the, the 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 dialogues with you. Like word for word. And uh I, you know, I, I've interviewed a few people. The interesting thing one of the interesting things about the Big Lebowski, aside from being one of my favorite movies, the amount of musical talent on that appears. Jeff Bridges is a great singer songwriter. Yeah. Uh Peter Stormari. Uh, who's been on this show also. And John Goodman has a big musical side, Amy Mann with all of the musical talent that was in that movie. Was there any, uh, did you all talk about music at all or anything like that? Oh yeah. We, uh, uh, Jeff
1: and I and, and John and I sat around and played a little bit together, you know, back in, in back in the trailers and the off times and, and uh they're, they're both very, very good musicians and very, they're, they're strangely kind of from the same, I don't know, uh, musical background as mine. You know, we're sort of, uh, you know, I always said, I, 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 never, I never have been a really good guitar player. I always, always made sure to surround myself with musicians that were better than me and uh, They, I felt with both John and and Jeff, I felt, we felt like we were among equals, I think. (laughs) You know, where, where that was our, that was a thing sitting and playing an acoustic guitar just in a, in a little, little bitty room is kind of the, where it all started from. And uh, that was a very amazing, amazing time for me. I feel extremely fortunate to have been part of that whole thing. And now, and that movie just keeps on,
0: keeps on, keeps on. What did you think of the big Lebowski? The first time you saw the film beginning to end. Well,
1: I liked it a lot. And I was, uh, and I, at the time I was, I think all of us thought it was going to be a huge hit. And and it, then it wasn't right off the bat, which is, is There's still, there's, it's still mysterious to me that, uh, it was, uh, how, why did it sort, in a way sort of disappear and then just slowly, slowly, slowly bubble up as one of the most popular movies in the world. <laughs> it's, a, it's very odd story to that, the, the history of that movie. Oh yeah, and it's still, it, it, it's funny. You know, I know so many people that have watched it many, many, many times, and it, it doesn't get old. <laughs> no, but it, it's kind of funny. You can't. You, I, I can't put my finger on what it is that's so genius about it. But but those Joel and Ethan and and uh, that that whole crew, they, they just really, I don't know. that they, they, they've they've got something. Real going in Oh yeah whole, whole approach to all of it
0: You know it's interesting because I was Just thinking it just occurred to me When we had Joe Ely on that was At the very very beginning When a lot of people didn't know what the word Pandemic meant I mean at the beginning of all This stuff that's going on and then We got to episode 500 We had Butch Hancock, and we were kind of like right in the middle of it. And now, God willing, we're kind of hopefully at the end. And and it just so happens here, the guest, uh, uh, you know, it's. uh, I'm hoping you can tell us because I had so much fun interviewing all of you. What do these guys mean to you, Joe and Butch? Well, there's they're so. There's
1: such a deeply integral part of my whole life, you know, that it, it, it it's hard to express. They're like, they really very much are like brothers to me. They're, they're, they're as close to me as my own brother. And, uh, and they, they've uh, both as artists and as friends, you know, they, they've influenced me. Throughout my whole My professional career
0: What is the best thing About being Jimmy Dale Gilmore Well
1: <laughs> I guess Maybe just existence Itself, I don't know <laughs> It's I, I used to Like to, to I, I went through these phases of, of Asking my friends what their I'll ask you right now, what's your favorite thing about infinity? <laughs> and I had being a part of it. <laughs> I asked one friend uh, what that one time, he, and he thought a second and then he said, "Well, I could just go on and on." <laughs> and he, later on, he told me that he had, hadn't actually meant that as a clever reply. It didn't dawn on him until after he said it, how kind of silly it was, but appropriate. But it's like, uh, you know, like somebody uh, asked asked me one time, uh, how did my, uh, how did my uh, spiritual life affect my music? And I said, uh, I thought about it a while, and finally I said, "Well, that—that that, to me, that's a little bit like asking, how how does oxygen affect you? Mm. <laughs> like it doesn't exactly affect you. It's like absolute. It's, it's a, a total, uh, absolute requirement."
0: Well, tell us about Janet wow there's
1: that that's a lot to tell <laughs> <laughs> Janet is my wife of thirty six years almost coming up on and uh, we've been together longer than that mm. i w- I was married twice before, and the, the my kids were were from the other marriages, but Janet has been their mother we're also we're all we're all close friends, where the family has been uh, tight knit all, you know, through all the years and all the turbulence and everything. And Janet is has, in lots of ways has been the, uh, the anchor point of kind of keeping this whole big family together. It'd Be hard yeah. to, it would be very difficult to for me to express what how what Janet is to me, hmm. more than important. She's absolutely essential.
0: Well put. You know, uh, it, on my computer, when her emails came through, it shows up as Janet Planet.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's her email. Her, her little handle, email handle, and her. Uh, That's what what shows up on my phone when she called me.
0: (laughs) Well, I always like to to end on a a kind of an open-ended note. And something that I've noticed about my interviews is that a lot of times I'll do something and I think, gosh, that was from 12 years ago or that was from 13 years ago, and I'll get an email from someone and they're just now hearing it. So you just don't know when someone is going to watch this or listen to it. But if anybody out there in the world is drifting in and they happen to be experiencing this interview, whether the video or the audio version, what would you, the special guest, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, what would you say to that, that pilgrim who's drifting in? (laughs) Well,
1: I I guess I would just try to give some advice that I would like to to, to take my own self, which is uh, keep an open mind and keep open ears. And, and I always I, I always like to sign off with take care of yourself
0: and everybody else. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, everybody out there, if you want to find out more about Jimmy Dale Gilmore, it's com, and Jimmy is spelled like Jimmy Rogers, J-I- J-I-M-M-I-E. And I'm really honored to have interviewed you. It's It's been a long time that I, I've thought it would be great to have him on sometime, and you have absolutely made me smile. So thank you, Jimmy Dale. Well, thank you. The feeling is mutual. I've really enjoyed it, Paul, and I, I hope we talk again in the future. I hope so, too. Keep me apprised and I'm always happy to to promote something or, or just talk. Alright. All right, All right sir. Until next time. Alright.
1: ba beep dot poop da beep. But I, leap, I, knock at the piece. I walk on <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.